We come back to the second class, and we've been talking about the judgments of Scripture. And I gave you the test. We'll go over those right at the end of class, and um, just so that we can get into the uh, get started with um, the outline. And so the judgments of Scripture um, and their role in God's plan and purposes. So we kind of gave an introduction last week about judgments, and I hope that you had an understanding of where we're trying to go. But as you look through Scripture, you see all kinds of judgments in Scripture. And um, the thing that strikes you today is that we live in a uh, society that's very unrighteous. A lot of unrighteousness going on today. And it's really sad. But as believers, we should understand that we are in an unrighteous society. And I think that um, we've kind of been fooled to believe that we were in something that was righteous. But even when you go back to the Andy Griffin days... There was a lot of unrighteousness going on then, too. <laughs> Let's not fool ourselves. <laughs> I mean, there's always been a lot of unrighteousness going on. A lot of it is more out in the open today, right? You see the bumper stickers that say, out of the closet. I've seen this coming out of the closet. I saw a bumper sticker one day when I was driving that said, somebody locked the closet. <laughs> and that's kind of where we are in the society today. People are really... They are tired of the unrighteousness. And you want to say to someone, hey, somebody judge this. Somebody intervene. Somebody do something about this kind of foolishness that's going on today. And it's off the charts. And I think that what you're seeing is the behavior of fallen mankind. Um, When there was some standards that the Gentiles were holding to or the government officials were holding to, it kept that at bay. And what it shows is there has to be judgment in a fallen world. Without judgment, then you have chaos. You have chaos. And you can see it all the way through Scripture. Particularly with the fallen man in the fallen state that he's in, if there is not clear, consistent judgment, there will be chaos. But the unfortunate problem is, in order to judge, you need somebody righteous. <laughs> You're going to find them today. Not a lot of them around, right? And so we live in this kind of society today, and so this is, makes it easier to really illustrate a lot of things of judgment from Scripture and why God instituted judgment. You realize there's not going to be any judgment uh, beyond the millennial kingdom or beyond the great white throne judgment. It's not going to be necessary to have judgment in heaven. You're not going to have the kind of bad behavior going on that you have going on today. Um, and at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Uh, initially, when you have everyone that goes into the millennial kingdom and everyone's righteous, you're not going to have it until you have these kids that are born and then you've got problems. <laughs> There's going to be all kinds of judgment going on. And so we, we do, and you can see it graphically why there's a need for judgment. And the first judgment we can see is going back into the garden when Adam was judged as a result of his sin. And you can see that there's, because of fallen man, there is a need for judgment. Now, it's interesting today you see a lot of people who say, oh, we shouldn't judge. There should be no judgment, no kind of judgment. Can I tell you this is a recipe for more chaos? This is a recipe for disaster. For disaster. And so you have it. And as you look around, and I'm sure as you listen to your TV or your radios or whatever it is you listen to, 
And I have shut off a lot of it, but you still hear the echoes of it reverberating from all over the place, right? Uh, and you, you can see a society that they just rail against any kind of judgment. Don't pass judgment on anything or anybody, right? Uh, no alternative lifestyle. People should be able to do whatever they want to do. Okay, well, I understand it as believers, and we're going to see this, that I don't believe it's the church's responsibility to intervene here. But this is a fact that we're in a culture where people believe that whatever lifestyle you want to do or whatever you want to be, no one should ever judge you. In fact, somebody sent me an um, article from Sweden, I think it was. No, one of the European countries where this pastor was put on trial, or it's going to be put on trial, because he said some bad things about these kind of folks. Why they didn't like it. It's hate speech. You know, in certain countries, Canada being one of them, it's hate speech. Why you can't tell the people the truth. Why that's just, they don't want to hear that. And so you have this. The way that someone dresses. Hey, shouldn't you pull your pants up? Your pants are sagging. Don't you realize your, un your underwear, they're showing. <laughs> ah, that's judging. Don't say that. <laughs> all kinds of deviant behavior. And so in the society we live in today, any kind of deviant behavior. Oh, don't say that. You're judging. Don't judge. Right? Don't judge. <laughs> Social status, right? No matter what. You know, you see it on both sides of it. You see rich people who are doing things that are just deplorable, right? Oh, don't judge. And you see poor people doing things that are deplorable. Uh, and then, oh, you have this thing of race, right? Everybody's race. Oh, don't judge, don't judge. Race, don't judge. Right? And so really what it is is that there is a truth about the way things should be, and nobody wants any judgment toward those things whatsoever. And so we see that when you have that, we live in a fallen world, and when you have this kind of thing going on with, with fallen mankind, you are asking for chaos. And the difference between that and, and you having a sane society is, is somebody used to say, uh, if you have laws and you do not enforce those laws, those laws are just a suggestion. It's just a suggestion. <laughs> maybe you might do this, maybe not. And so you see, judgment is really important. And the hue and cry that is going on in the world today to judge nothing is craziness. And you won't find it in Scripture. You won't find it in Scripture at all. And so judgment became necessary because of the fall of Adam. There is no judgment mentioned in the Scripture prior to, this, uh, to the judgment of Satan. We see that before the end, Satan rebelled. Right. <clears throat> you go back to I believe you can place it between Genesis one and two. But you know that his judgment wasn't really confirmed until Christ died on the cross. That's when he was judged. And do you know that his sentence or his, his the, the result of that judgment is yet to be executed? Well, you know, we have that. You put a guy on <clears throat> death row for murder and. 30 years later, maybe 40, <laughs> after the people have forgotten what he did, <laughs> he's, he's executed. You know. But there's you know, this delay between the judgment 
and then the, the punishment. And that's what's happening with Satan and his, his punishment is sure. And so the fallen state of mankind requires judgment for the purpose of maintaining a standard. Maintaining a standard. Without judgment, fallen mankind descends into a chaotic state. Nowhere was this made more evident than in the period of the judges. As you go over there with the nation of Israel, it says during this period that Israel operated without a king. And it was said during that time that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it was just all kinds of chaos that ensued. So judgment is a necessity. If you have fallen men in the state that fallen man is in, God has allowed for man at different points and times to execute judgment. Judgment. And so you can see it even in the church today. I think that the church is really the witness and the testimony in the church has been maligned because the church refuses to execute any judgment. Any judgment whatsoever. There was a woman <clears throat> back some years ago um, in Tulsa. She was attending this church. And um, I don't know if she was married before, but I know that her and this other guy ended up and they were cohabitating in this relationship. And so the church told her, well, you can't do this here. This is a bad testimony on this church. Well, the woman, she, you know what she told him? Mind your own business. <laughs> can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and they say, well, you know, we can't. But you, if you're going to do this, you can't do it here. Not in this church. Well, what did she do? She sued him. She took the church to court and she sued him. And fortunately, the judge said, as she should have said, when you joined that church, you agreed that this was what Scripture said. You agreed to the standard. Your case is thrown out. And that's exactly what happened. And so even in the church, and you'll see in the church today, this idea of judgment is really essential among believers. And what's happening, and you'll see it, is that the church is, is judging the wrong thing. What the church is spending more time judging the world and just not really paying any attention to what's going on in the church. And there's all kinds of stuff going on in the church that ought not to be happening. And we'll see that as we, we progress through here. And so judgment presupposes that a stand, there's a standard to maintain order. And so God provided a standard for men to live by in each dispensation, and, and in each instance, the standard was rejected. So the standards from Adam to Moses included conscience. Well, we know that there was innocence, and so there was no judgment before then, but Adam decided that he was going to act independent of God as he followed Eve, and now judgment was rendered. And so then you have conscience, and you saw what happened in the fourth chapter of Genesis with Cain and Abel. And then you go over to human government, uh, and then with promise, and then you get to um, Exodus as the children of Israel come out of the other side of, out of Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. Now God levels the law against them, and there was all kinds of judgments that were seen under law. And so they ended up not living up to that standard either. And, and we'll see, even against the Gentiles. So here you had at the Tower of Babel, God was, chose the nation of Israel, the descendants of Shem, and he started dealing with them. But still, there was judgments at some point rendered to the Gentiles, though not, not as much. He allowed the Gentiles to go their own ways. 
time, that certain times he intervened, um, or there were certain times that there was uh, judgment that would have been pronounced upon some of the Gentiles, as, as an example with uh, Jonah, as he was sent to the Ninevites, uh, though they repented and Jonah uh, had consternation about that. But you'll see that there's judgment going on all the way through, and you ask yourself, why? Why is it necessary to judge? And why is it wrong when people say you're not supposed to judge? This is a, a cry today. It is a constant cry from people. You're not supposed to judge. Well, where did they get that from? They didn't get it from the Bible. You will not find that in Scripture. You will not find that in Scripture at all. And so this is human-centric, uh, human-centric uh, uh, ideology about how people should operate. It's, it's not biblical at, in the least bit. <clears throat> and so you'll see this as we move through Scripture. You'll see how God is, God is judging. God uses men to judge. And we'll see that the, um, ultimately there's going to be judgments in the future. There's judgments going on now. There's going to be judgments going on in the future. And I think it's all part and parcel to the fact that we're in a fallen world. And without judgments, this fallen nature of man, it will get out of control. Like you've never seen. And we'll see it, and, and God has used this throughout the course of time, and we'll see the purpose and the reason for it and how he's using judgment in his plan and purposes. And it's really interesting when you see it. And so we come to uh, <coughs> the various terms that you see in Scripture, and that's quite a bit. And I don't want to get bogged down, but I do want to introduce some of these terms because they're important to understand what judgment is. And, and uh, we're going to look at uh, the noun form for judgment which is the word judgment, and then the verb to judge. And you'll see that that's just used quite a bit through the, out the Old and the New Testament. And so when you look at the Hebrew side of it, the noun and the verb form for judgment occurs you know, approximately 28 times uh, before the book of Exodus. Not very many, but then when, when you get on the other side of Exodus, it just starts, it goes from a drip into a deluge. And so you have two primary words that are used, um, that for judgment, you have mispat, uh, which is primarily means the act of, a, of sitting as a judge and hearing a case in order to render a proper verdict. And so one is sitting as a judge and you're judging. There's a standard here that is supposed to people are supposed to live up to. And so one is sitting as a judge and they are hearing and then they're rendering a judgment on the basis of that. And then you have Shaphat which is used in the Hebrew. And I, this, as you look at it, and we'll see it, it's used many times for the execution of divine judgment upon um, men who are obstinate. Obstinate men uh, who, who stand steadfast against what God wants done. And you see it used a lot that way. Let's look as an example. Look at Exodus chapter um, 6. Let's look at the three illustrations there in, in the book of Exodus, and you see it used uh, concerning Egypt. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. <clears throat> and so you see um, God's render, God renders judgment against uh, Egypt uh, because of um, 
Pharaoh and his obstinance against uh, what God desired. And so notice he says here, uh, let's start with verse 1 of chapter 6. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong arm, uh, strong hand shall, I let, uh, shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abram, uh, Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage, wherein they, they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore said uh, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the um, burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched arm and with great judgments. And you, and you see it uh, as you go forward with the things, the plagues and the things that he brought upon Egypt. Now notice in uh, verse 4 of chapter 7. Uh, in verse one, he says, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh and Aaron, thy brother shall be thy prophet. And thou shalt speak all that I command thee and Aaron, thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his, uh, his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. And I may uh, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And so you see that word used. And I will see that this word is normally, as you see it used in the Old Testament, it's used of the execution of judgment against those who are obstinate. And they're just they've dug in and, and God's going to he's going to render judgment on them for um their um, obstinacy. Now notice as you look over to the, the New Testament, there are two Greek words that are used primarily for judgment in the New Testament. And so as you look at these words, um, they're really interesting. Uh, as you uh, look at the, um, they're, they're primarily, you see chrysis and then you see crema. And these words are really interesting, particularly as you see them in composition with other uh, prepositions. So chrysis is the word that is used as it primarily denotes a separating then a decision. And so notice in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. The book of John is really interesting because you see the Jewish leaders and their hypocrisy is on full display. And they really are defending their position and they... Uh, they're not really concerned about what's right or what's true. And so, you know, against all evidence, they uh, continue to defend their uh, position. Here's an example of it. Notice in verse 17, and we'll start there. But Jesus answered them, My father works hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And so they, they understood what he was saying. They didn't, it was not a fact that they didn't understand what he was saying. The problem was that they did. And notice in verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
The Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For what things soever he does, these also does the Son likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raised the dead and quickens them, so even also the Son quickens whom he will. For the, notice, the Father judges no man, uh, or not one, really not one, uh, but has commanded all judgment unto the Son. Well, this is interesting, and you see it throughout the course of Scripture, that the Son is the one that is going to render judgment, that the Father is not going to judge. It's the Son that is going to be the one that renders judgment. And we're going to see this as we go down the line. And so that's interesting. That word is, is the act of judging. Uh, and so you have that used in that way. And notice crema is a word that is used to denote the result of an act of having been judged, which is a judgment pronounced. And so you can see an illustration of this. Notice in uh, John chapter 16. And so we see the Holy Spirit comes and he's going to judge. Hey, there's judgment all over scripture. Wicked people don't, are not going to like that. They don't, this is why a lot of people don't want to read scripture. There's judgment everywhere. <laughs> and so here you see the Holy Spirit, who is actually, when, he, when it was prophesied that when he's come, that he was going to render, um, um, he was going to uh, um, render judgment. Notice verse 7 of chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now here again, just as an example, here's an opportunity to be able to say again, the Holy Spirit was not evident or was not present during Christ's earthly ministry. Now notice in verse 8, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of three things. Notice sin. And notice again, I always want to point this out as we come through here. It is a singular sin. It is a singular sin. Now, why do I say that? Because in the so-called sinner's prayer that you hear constantly, they tell people that you've got to repent of all of your sins. And then you can believe. Now, show me a verse in the Bible where it says that, and I will believe you. You won't find that in Scripture. Now, notice the sin here is a singular sin that the Holy Spirit convicts the unsaved of, and he's going to tell you what that singular sin is. Verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. There you go. Where's all the other sins come from? And we have people regurgitating sins. They're struggling to try to find all the sins that they've committed. And they just, it's just, it's craziness, really. And it's not scriptural, which is the most important thing. A singular sin, because they believe not on me, of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, I believe we have enough proof to show you that he was judged on the cross. 
Satan has been judged. His sentence is yet to be carried out. And it's going to happen. And we're going to see that in the future. Other Hebrew verbs that translate judge are shafat, which is the act of sitting as a judge or hearing a case and rendering a, profit, uh, a proper verdict. Um, and, and so you see that in Scripture. The book of Job, uh, being the first book in the Bible, actually includes two uses of the word for judge. And so if, if you don't realize that Job was the first book in the Bible, and so you see this word for Shaphat that is used there. Notice in Job chapter 21 and verse 22 and 26, and uh, he uses that to talk about how God judges those who are arrogant in um, Job 21 through 26. And so this word for arrogant is uh, one who is, uh, actually it's the word rum, one who, who sees himself to be high and lofty. You know, I don't know it. The older I get, I guess, um, the less I would see myself as being all that. And particularly as you get older, you start feeling the aches and pains, and you really see you are not all that. <laughs> and that this body that we're in, it is truly a jar of clay. And you understand, there's no reason for anybody to be arrogant, really. Uh, but some people still don't understand that. And so here Job talks about it in verse 22. He says, um, Shall any teach God knowledge, seeing he judges those that are high? One dieth in full strength, being holy at ease and quiet. His breasts are full of milk, and his bones are moistened with marrow. And another dieth in the bitterness of his soul, and never eats with pleasure. They shall lie down alike in the dust, and the worms shall cover them. Well, what a wonderful thought there, isn't it? Isn't that just, that should just destroy any arrogance. I mean, just think about some of the most arrogant people. You know what they are now? Dust. Those who've died. They've gone off the scene, and people probably don't even remember who they were. But they thought they were that great during the time. And so this idea of uh, God judges, and so this word for sh uh, Shaphat is used, um, and it's used with Sarah, um, and, and who anticipated God's judgment upon her and Abram because of their acting independent. And then you have these other words that are used that are not as prominent. You have uh, Sadek, uh, which means to pronounce uh, conformity to an ethical or moral standard or to do justice. Um, you see it used in Genesis chapter 15. You have Rasha, which means to pronounce guilt in uh, Psalms 37. And then you have Yakak. Um, and Yakak, and it's used uh, to, uh, and you can define it to correct someone who participates in conduct that is wrong. Um, and I think this is more, would be aligned with what we're going to see in the New Testament of more uh, rebuke uh, of someone. Um, or to um, correct someone who's wrong or participating in wrong behavior. And so you see it used of chastening or rebuke for the purpose of changing the outlook of behavior. Um, you see it as an example of what, uh, in Genesis chapter 31 and 36 of Jacob, who was looking for someone to judge between he and Laban. And then you see um, another word that is used uh, concerning judgment in the Old Testament is din, and it's used in the Old Testament to requit or to compensate or to vindicate. 
someone. And so you, here's terms that we're, you're going to see us use as we go through and talk about the judgments as you see them used in Scripture. And as you go over to the Greek, the verb forms that are used is krino. Um, it's a verb that's used to mean to make a determination about something or someone based upon external factors. Now, look at it as an example of that in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, one of the things that we're going to learn here as we talk about judgment, and, and I think that this is a truism that you shouldn't do this, um, that you shouldn't judge uh, hypocritically. And this is what the Lord was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. You shouldn't, ju that's, that judgment shouldn't be that someone is judging someone else and they're doing the very thing that they see someone else doing. That you don't judge hypocritically. So it's hard for me to say to you, don't do this, and I'm doing the very thing. And so, I mean, you see that in the society, right? And many parents have been accused of doing this, right? Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Nobody here has ever done that, but, you know, people do that. And so notice in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And what measure you meet, you shall be measured to you again. And why behold, beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote, or really the speck out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in our own eye. So the idea here is that <laughs> the one that you're judging is doing something far less than what you're doing, right? And then, you know, you, you see that. And so this is in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord was using that uh, with regard to um, the nation of Israel. Now notice, another place that you see it, it's interesting, is in John chapter 3 and verse 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16. There's some interesting things said in, in John chapter 3, and I think that we really brush over them because we either are focused on what the Lord says to Nicodemus or we're focused on John 3.16. But if you read the context of that entire chapter, it's really interesting. Notice what he says here in John chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17 is where we want to focus. For God so loved the world, and I, and I do want to put... Um, because we have made it a point of showing that the believers are supposed to love one another. And so people will say, well, God loves everybody. Well, it's interesting, and we can show it here without using the Greek language, that even in the English you can see this. Notice that ED on the end of love. That's a past tense, Right? Now, if God were loving the world today, we understand what it says in Scripture. Those whom God loves, he chastens. Now, he'd be chasing people all over the place, right? Where would it stop? You see, he only chastens those who belong to him. He loved the world, and what did he do for the world? He gave the world what the world needed, a Savior. That's how he showed his love for the world. 
to take that beyond this and say that God is loving the world today, I would just simply ask you for a verse. Just one would do. Just show me one. Show me one. And so he says, for God so loved the world that he and he's telling you how he loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. It really is his unique kind of son. So there is God, other sons of God, but he's unique. He's different from any other kind of son of God. You see. That whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And so our word here, um, to condemn, uh, is actually uh, uh, the noun form of krenoi, uh, it's krene, to, it's actually to, um, uh, actually there's a, a textual problem there as to whether that should be uh, a different form, but the idea of to judge. Um, and so notice in verse 16, uh, a word for, well, it was actually the word 17 is where we were going, is the idea to judge. And so um, it should be in a perfect tense. In other words, God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world with the continual ideal that he was still judging the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's the whole point of why he sent his Son into the world. And so you have that idea of crino, and then you have anacrino, which is a judgment based upon a more thorough examination and hence reaching a determination about a thing. Now notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And it's more of a discernment. <clears throat> now I believe that you should not make certain judgments. There are certain judgments we're going to see as we move forward. There are certain judgments you shouldn't make. You shouldn't judge hypocritically. You shouldn't judge someone's motives. And so this is what you see happening to a lot today. We have these so-called body experts, right? They can tell you what other people are thinking. Why? I can, the way that he twisted his mouth right there when he did that. or the way You don't know what people are thinking. You have no idea what someone else is thinking. And you might say that and maybe you might guess and get it right. But you don't know what someone else is thinking. And notice... I'm not making it up. Scripture says that. Notice in verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit from God. Now, we have not received the spirit that is from the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that are, and I would say, things of grace that are given to us from God, are graciously given to us from God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things from the Spirit from God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Now, it's important to know here, he's not saying that the natural man cannot know the facts about things. That are written here because you see a lot of people who are writing things against the Bible and they use the Bible to write it. So they tell you that the Bible says this. They can know the facts about it. But you know what they can't know? They can't experientially understand it. 
Have you seen little kids who can tell you facts about something and you know they have no idea what they're talking about? We saw Cohen the other day. <laughs> we were over there at the house celebrating my mother-in-law getting ready to leave. He and Adeline are performing and he stands out in front of the audience and says, men and children, boys and girls, <laughs> welcome. And I'm like, what the heck? He's like, he's at a circus and he's saying this. You know that he heard it somewhere else. He heard some, he had no idea, but he was repeating it. Like he really understood, like he was a, a master at a, at a circus doing this. Do you know this is how the unsaved man is? They can say things that, and they can quote them verbatim and they don't understand what they're saying. They have no idea what they're saying. And so he says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually, and here's our word for to judge. Really, you can say to discern. There's critical judgment and of weighing of information. And this is what we're going to see as we move forward. And you look at this term to say that people are not supposed to make distinctions or judgments is the craziest thing you will ever hear someone say. You live in a world where you make no distinctions or judgment and judgments and you're going to be insane. Or get yourself into a lot of trouble. And so this idea of weighing information, making distinctions, making discernments between things. And here he's talking about it relative to scripture uh, and those things that we've been given uh, from God. And we'll see that it even um, goes beyond that. Notice diacrino is used to give consideration to a series of things to discern as whether one meets a standard. And so notice in 1 Corinthians 11, now here is one here where people talk about, and they always say, don't judge me. All right, here we have it right here. Particularly for believers in the church, if you don't want to be judged, do this, and you won't have to worry about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse uh, 29, and we'll read down through 31, uh, verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Uh, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The background here is that you come to the Lordian table. When you come to the Lordian table and you partake of that bread and that wine, what you're saying is that you're participating and you're keeping the unity of the body of Christ. That's what you're saying when you do that. And so there were people in Corinth that was coming and they weren't doing this. They were actually fighting. You had people who were bringing food to the agape feast that they were having. There were people who didn't have food and they were eating right in front of them. <laughs> who does this? People do it, I guess. And they had all of this going on and they, they weren't really discerning where they were at. It's our responsibility individually to discern where are we at relative to where we should be. And nobody really can do that for you. And so he says, let a man examine himself and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks, drinketh unworthily eats and drinks. See the word damnation? It's actually the word judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
And there's our word. It's the same word that we just saw over in Second uh, First Corinthians chapter two. I don't know why they translated it um, damnation. Uh, it's actually judgment, really, form of that. To himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And so here is God. Those whom he loves, he chastens. And why does he chasten? Why does he chasten you? In order, he tells you here, right here. Now, if he did this, let's just assume for the sake of argument that he was chastening everybody and you said that he was loving the world. Well, the world is always in sin, right? So he would be chastening all the people that are in sin. Now, most of the time, I mean, that would be quite a few people. One of the things that happens in chastening is that he takes you home. Well, would there be anybody left in the world? There's population control right there. There wouldn't be anyone left. So he does this to believers. Believers. That's, that's the context of what he's talking to here. And so he says, for if we should happen to judge ourselves, or, or really it's um, uh, yeah, it's a second class condition, assuming for the sake of argument, you, we would happen to judge ourselves, but you're not. So in a second-class condition, you're begging the question, if you would judge yourself, and obviously you're not doing it, you would not be judged, but you are. You are being judged. See, they are being judged because they won't judge themselves. And so he says, if we would, judge ourse- if we would happen to judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But notice what happens. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Why? That we should not be condemned with the world. See? Now, if he was judging the world, why would he make this distinction that you are not going to be condemned with the world? This doesn't make any sense. The only thing that makes sense is to let Scripture say what it says. That you're not going to be judged if you judge yourself. So we have believers who are just in la-la land. They keep denying where they are spiritually, and they keep saying to themselves, oh, nothing wrong with me. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. And the Holy Spirit's convict, or uh, the Spirit is grieving in you, right? Saying, hey, don't do that. Stop this. And you just keep saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. There's nothing to see here, Right? And the Holy Spirit has to step in, his, and, uh, or the Son has to step in and say, Father, Kevin really needs this right now. Pop, pop, pop. Stop it, Kevin. And you say, well, I'm good. <laughs> you know, when we were getting spanking sometimes, particularly by my mother, we did not want to show that it was hurting us. <laughs> and then it just kept graduating there. And before you know it, the tears are flowing. <laughs> you say, this is bad. And I believe there's a graduation with how God chastens those who belong to him. And some believers think that ah, I'm not, it's OK. It's not what it's, it, it is. But they know. They know that God is chastening them. And so you see this judgment here. Believers judge. You're going to see really in the church today. We're going to see when it comes to that judgment, we're not supposed to judge the world. You see it in chapter 5. We'll see that. You're supposed to judge yourself. 
each individual person is supposed to judge themselves. So now when we don't judge ourselves, two things could happen. First of all, if I'm in open sin, then the church should judge me. If I'm in open sin and, I, and you're in a relationship, say an adulterous relationship, or I'm doing things, they're outlined there, and we'll see them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, then the church should do something about it. Now, if the church doesn't do anything about it, or say the church does something about it and say, Kevin, you need to get out of here. We love you, but you can't do that here. Right? Why? Because we'll see the testimony of the church is at stake. And so the church puts me out. Now God's going to allow Satan to intervene and to do things to me that he wouldn't allow Satan to do otherwise for the purpose of getting me to have a change of mind. And if I become that obstinate after that, then he says, all right, Kevin, Wong, you know what? Why don't you just come on up here with me? My will for you on the earth has ended. Why don't you just, why don't you just come on up here? Be a lot better. And we see that in John chapter 15. And so you have this judgment as you see it all the way through scripture. And it gets right down even today in this dispensation where the rubber meets the road. And it's very important that we understand what God is doing related to this because it's very important to his plan and purposes. And so to say, please don't get caught up with what the world is saying. Don't judge. These people don't know what they're talking about. They have no clue what they're talking about. And that's why you see the chaos going on in the world today. And the other side of it is I don't think that they have the ability to judge because you have people who are so unrighteous. And we'll see one of the standards of judgment is that you have to act right. And we'll see that as we move forward. All right. Uh, let's do a look at the test right quick before. And for those who took the test online... If you go to the church's website under my name, the Judgments of Scripture pretest we handed out last week and told you it was on the church's website last week. And let's see how you did on the pretest. And again, the purpose of this pretest is to see what you know about the subject matter, and hopefully <clears throat> the gap will close with, with the post test. You didn't get one, Michael? Uh-huh. So I'm sure we have one for you somewhere. Why didn't you tell me? You could have taken it. <laughs> okay, just cover your ears, Michael. <laughs> number, <laughs> number one, judgment in Scripture can be defined as A, the balancing of the scales between races, B, the administration of justice according to the, an objective standard. C, the administration of a subjective opinion on a matter. Or D, the rendering of an accusation. B, the administration of justice according to an objective standard. The character necessary for judgment can be described as A, hypocritical, B, righteous, C, selfish, D, none of the above. B, righteous. Number three, judgment was formed for Israel for the purpose of A, stoning, B, affirming the wicked, C, justifying the righteous and condemning the wicked in disputes, D, to confirm the standards of the society. C. Number four, judgment is to be meted out, A, based upon one's social status, B, based upon racial uh, and gender identi identity, C, without respect of persons, or D, all of the above. C, without respect of persons. This is important in the church 
And that's why we were going to see in the church that it's appointed that there should be a committee in the church and shouldn't be the pastor. It should be people, according to scripture, who are not in any position who are actually able to judge matters between believers in the church. It should be that way. And you should not say, well, you know, deacon so-and-so, we're not going to judge him because he gives a lot of money. Well, we're going to let him slide. But sister so-and-so, eh, she only gives a few pennies, so we can do <laughs> we can do without her. You shouldn't judge according to person with respect to person. And that's really important, and we'll see it when we get to the church. Uh, five, Christ judge, Christ's judgment upon his return will be based upon A, righteousness, B, good people, C, social status, or D, religion. A, righteousness. God is going to judge in righteousness, and he's going to judge all that is not like himself. <clears throat> it's um, it's going to be interesting to see. True or false? Number one, God allows for believers to judge themselves today. Yeah, number two, the Father is the one who renders all judgment. False. Number three, the church judges the world today. False. And we'll see this. This is really uh, a huge thing. Um, and I understand it. I mean, we, we look at the world and the state that it's in, but we're specifically told, and we'll see it in 1 Corinthians 5, it's not our responsibility to be mixing it up and judging the world. And we'll see that. Number four, the church judges believers in open sin. True. And you can see how the church gets those backwards, right? How many churches do you know where there are people who are engaging in just flagrant open sin and not one thing has been said about it? Not one thing. Number five, the great white throne judgment was for saved and unsaved. False. The only people that are going to be at the great white throne judgment are those who are all unsaved. And they're all going to be judged according to their works. Isn't that a righteous thing? God's going to judge them according to what they did. He's not going to take some grandmother who sat in the, and was, did not believe the gospel and judge her in the same way that she would uh, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> right? There's going to be different judgments based upon what you did. And so notice uh, the sheep and goats judgment, uh, number six, um, occurs after the tribulation period. True. Number seven, God judged Cain for killing Abel. True. And so number eight, remember he put the um, uh, he put him he, um, put him out and sent him to be a wanderer and such. Number eight, uh, the Noahic flood was judgment upon the sons of Seth. False. And the reason that I ask that is because there are some people who believe that there was a godly line of the sons of Seth that you know was pre- preserved or. or uh, led to the things that were happening in uh, the uh, Genesis 6, and that you had the godly line and the ungodly line, and that's what was going on there, and that's not true. Number nine, the judgment of the Tower of Babel was due to sexual perversion. False. Um, Notice uh, number 10, Satan has already been judged. True. Yeah. And we just read that in, in John chapter 16. Uh, fill in the blank. Number one, blank is when one judges another for what they are doing themselves. Hypocritical judgment. Number two, if a believer judges blank, he will not be judged by the Lord. Yeah. 
the Bema Seat Judgment, number three, is the judgment of four works. Important to notice when we get to the Bema Seat Judgment, as the great white throne judgment is only for the unsaved, the Bema Seat Judgment is only going to be for believers. And notice, it's not going to be a judgment of the believer personally. The, what the judgment is going to be is for our works, and we'll see that. It's that our works are going to be made manifest there, and the works are going to be judged. Number four, things blank is the focus of the works judged at the Bema Seat Judgment. Yes, practice. This is really an important word, and we'll see it. That's, it's the things that are practiced. That's what's going to be the focus of the Bema Seat Judgment, those works. Blank will be brought to light at the Bema Seat Judgment. Yes, and I would really expand upon that and didn't have enough space to hidden things of darkness. And so why do people do what they do? Why, what is the, the reasoning for why you do what you do? And that's not obvious to people. We don't know. I mean, we don't know the mind. And sometimes, as I said, we don't know ourselves. Maybe you know yourself better than I do. I sometimes ask myself, why did you do that, Kevin? I don't say it out loud, <laughs> but I do ask myself in my mind. And um, they say that you can ask questions, just don't answer yourself. <laughs> You're fine. But you don't know a lot of the things that you do yourself. You would hope that they're out of the right motivation, but sometimes you don't know. But God's going to make, make clear what that is. Verse 6, the time frame of the sheep and the goat's judgment is when the sun blinks. Yeah. And so you see that in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31, he establishes the timeline of when this is going to happen. When the sun comes down and he sits up on the throne, then he's going to judge. And notice, what is he going to do that for? So as you come out of the tribulation period, he's going to judge everybody on the face of the earth at that time. Every single uh, a person, well, we're, we're going to, here's, you have the next answer here in, in number seven. Blank are the only ones judged the sheep and goats judgment. The Gentiles. The Jews are going to be diff- judged differently. But the Gentiles are going to be categorized into two categories, the sheep and the goats. And he's going to judge them. And those at the end of the tribulation period who are judged to be among the goats are going to be, um, uh, be consigned into Hades at that time. Number eight, Israel's final judgment takes place in the blank wilderness. And we'll see that he takes Israel into the wilderness and he pleads with them. And there's going to be a separation of the elect from the non-elect. So that by the time you get to the end of the tribulation period, all of Israel will be Israel. And that's not the case today. Not everybody that is, is a Jew today are elect. The first judgment occurred uh, in the blank garden. God's judgments are always according to blank. Truth. Blank directs the judgment for the believer today. The son. S-O-N. Number 12. Blank shows partiality in judgment. The wicked. Am I? Don't you see an example of that today, right? Wicked people don't judge right. They just, I don't even wonder if they even have the ability to. They just don't judge right. <coughs> Blank settled disputes among those in the nation of Israel. Moses. Moses. Number 14, mankind commonly judges Unjust. blanks unjustly. 
And number 15, blank is the result of believers being judged by the Lord. Chastening. Chastening. And so we're going to see as we move forward that this issue, and so I hope you guys did well, right? Everybody did pretty good on it? Okay. So we don't have much to teach. We can just kind of stop right here, right? <laughs> you guys have this down. But hopefully by the end of this class that you guys will be able to teach the class. Uh, you'll have, be so, uh, have such a thorough understanding of this issue of judgment and what God is trying to accomplish in his plan and purposes with judgment and the different kinds of judgment that's occurred all the way through Scripture and, and, and the reasons why. Any questions at this point? None? All right. Well, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for um, today and thankful for your truth that the truth is able to pierce through the darkness of this world. And we understand that we're contending with the noise that comes from the unsaved. And they say a lot of things that are absolutely not true. And yet the church is sometimes affected by these things in which men are saying things as we understand this matter of judgment. And many things are said about this that is um, not true pursuant to your word. We're thankful that we have your word, that we can see things the way they really are. And many times they will run counter to what men say. But we're thankful, Father, that we can actually be able to understand these things in a way that is well-pleasing to you and to be able to use them in a way that allows us to be able to be pleasing to you. And we're thankful for that potential in your son's name we pray. Amen.